It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bose Nerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. It is our Saturday radio extravaganza. Here we are, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. You're welcome to call, of course, participate in the program. We're going to have uh, Derek Hunter on in a bit. We're assuming, of course, Derek is already awake, and we've got so much news. Yesterday, we spent a lot of time. Uh, it was the second anniversary of Rush Limbaugh's passing, and we uh, spent... A great deal of time talking about Rush and uh, his impact on not only radio, but of the country. Actually, Rush was trending on Twitter yesterday and, and today. And there were so many things that I missed yesterday, including uh, Joel Rosenberg, my good friend, had a piece uh, that he shot with David a year ago, and he re-aired it. Uh, that's really worth looking at. And it is about Russia's, it was a discussion about faith and Russia's uh, views on faith, especially in his last year. Uh, there was a story in National Review about Russia that was really good and so many other places. So anyway, if you want to continue that discussion today, we are here and open for it. Uh, there is news in Ohio. Ohio continues to dominate the headlines as it should, East Palestine, Ohio. The EPA head, Mike Regan, I think his name is Reagan, Regan, he finally showed up. He finally showed up two weeks later after the derailment and asked people, oh, trust us. We're the, you know, it was one of those classic lines you get from the government. Yeah, we're going to do everything we can, blah, blah, blah. Trust us. We're here. Trust us. There are stories in today's press. There's one about a family who is was coughing up blood, the entire family, in the immediate days after. The EPA was telling everybody that, you know, oh, it's, it's okay, no big deal, nothing to see here. It's the derailment. In, in essence, that's what they were telling people. And yet you had uh, rep people like Representative J.D. Vance who went to some of the local water a uh, areas, I don't know whether creeks, streams, whatever, and there were videos. There were videos all on social media with people just going and throwing rocks into the water. And after the rock bounces where you would normally see ripples, what you see are rainbow slicks of chemicals coming up on top of the water. There are stories about a parking lot filled with dead birds. In fact, I just saw just now, just one past one, a parking lot full of dead birds in Lexington, 350 miles southwest of East Palestine. And so once again, Americans have to question and should question whether they're being told the truth by their government which is all too common these days. There is a story today from ABC News, the political fallout over the federal response to the Ohio train derailment. When EPA Administrator Mike Regan came 
to East Palestine on Thursday. He was the first top Biden administration official on the scene since Norfolk Southern rail cars filled with toxic chemicals derailed near the town two weeks ago. Now, do you remember, by chance, Hurricane Katrina? Do you remember the press in a tizzy, in a fit, blaming George Bush? I I remember at the time, even Kanye West was out saying, Bush doesn't care about black people, blah, blah, blah. And they all had a cow. They, of course, made it racial as they do when anything, when there's a Republican in office, it turns into a racial story rather than just a story of incompetence, if that's really what the story is. Bush, who was on the scene within a few days, was pilloried for telling the uh, FEMA director, oh, you're doing a good job down there, Brownie, whatever his name was. You don't see any of the kind of national outrage in the mainstream press today over the appalling lack of concern for the residents of Ohio. And again, you're looking at a situation where this isn't just East Palestine, Ohio. When things get in the water table, it can spread for hundreds and hundreds of miles. When things get in the air, it doesn't stay where it, where the incident happened. Lexington, Kentucky, 350 miles southwest of East Palestine. All of a sudden, inexplicably, a parking lot full of dead birds. So you have the usual platitudes about how Norfolk Southern Rail is going to be held to account. We don't even know the full short-term impact of what happened there, let alone the long-term impact. There's a story in Reuters turning our attention a moment overseas about events in Turkey and Syria. The death toll is now up to 45,000 people, 45,000 human beings lost their lives in that earthquake. We are talking about over a million people displaced, homeless, there's also companion stories about the anger that is rising there, not only over government response, but over the supposed construction of earth-proof houses, housing, apartment buildings that were supposed to be earthquake-proof, and they crumbled like cardboard. And people are now saying, you know, they paid a lot of money to live in these these exclusive housing developments that were supposed to be built to withstand earthquakes. And they fell to the ground. 
like a flimsy deck of cards, and they are anger. And that led me to thinking about the standards, because that's what we're talking about here, folks, standards. How, you know, living in certain parts of the United States, we have our expectations, too. If you live in California, for instance, there's supposed to be a certain standard of buildings, the way buildings are constructed, that would help them withstand earthquakes, just like what was supposed to be in Turkey and in Syria. If you live in the northeast, well, the north, the southeast in America, and you have to deal with hurricanes, there's supposed to be a standard for construction. What happens when people allow standards to fall? What happens when people say, yeah, yeah, yeah? I mean, there were over 187,000 buildings that collapsed over there. 187,000 buildings. Supposedly, many of them were, were built to withstand earthquakes. They didn't. What do you do when your standards are not being adhered to. What happens? We are seeing what happens. When standards are ignored for, in this case, apparently, for the sake of profit. Now, that may sound leftist to some people, but it is not. There are stories in the news today about standards in schools how honors classes in some school districts are being totally disbanded because of equity. So in some cases, I'll pull out one of those stories shortly. You're not allowed, students are not allowed to excel. They're not put in classes with other kids that excel because somebody's feelings might get hurt for those that aren't excelling. That is now a trend that is starting to emerge in the nation's schools. Standards. What has happened to the standards in the American military? They have been weakened so that we can allow more inclusivity. Standards. What happens, and I'm just asking an open-ended question here, what happens? when we reduce standards to accommodate people's feelings. It is happening in many aspects of our society here. We see, if you want to take a look at what happens when standards are ignored for the sake of expediency, you can see how deadly that can be. But what happens when standards are ignored so that we can make everybody feel good. That is something that is happening across these United States of America on a daily basis. I mean, we're even told now that standards that we had, basic scientific standards, there's a man, there's a woman. We're told that that's not acceptable anymore. We had a 
a state representative tell us that she was offended and that it's un-American to think and to tell people that the standard of the American family, what used to be the standard, of a two-parent family with a man and a woman. She says that is a dangerous idea and it is un-American. Standard. Anyway, 800-848-WABC is the number to call, 800-848-9222. We're going to give Derek a call. We're going to come back. We'll be back, and your call is going to be part of today's program on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza, so please stay with us. Glad you're here. Have that first cup of coffee with us, and we'll be right back. WABC, the Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77. Derek Hunter, author, columnist, radio host, celebrity, and political insider is with us. God help the world where I'm where I'm a celebrity, James. Wow, <laughs> you not only lowered the bar, you had to get out a shovel to put it down <laughs> far enough to where I am a celebrity. You know, Derek. Yo, you are a celebrity, Derek. Let me ask you a question before I get into to, to this stuff. There was a, there was a uh, a story this week that bothers me to no end, and it is about Baltimore. One of the uh, – there was a, a group that, that looked at the results of a standardized test that was taken in Baltimore among high school students, 2,000 of them, to test their proficiency in certain subjects. Of the 2,000 students that took the test in Baltimore, not one – not one was able to score a proficiency passing grade in math. Every single student in Baltimore of the 2,000 in this, in this, this high school class, every single one, 2,000, not one was on grade level in math. I found that to be 
to me, this is almost criminal. And almost. Go ahead. Almost. I mean, this is uh, right up. Baltimore is right up there with Washington D.C. in the top five districts that that spend and spending per capita per child on education. And you find it almost criminal. It is absolutely criminal. And I tell you, the people took to the streets in outrage. Al Sharpton was in town. They were leading candlelight vigils and chanting for – no, wait, no, nothing happened. Nobody took to the streets. Sorry. There was one woman who was a mother who appeared on Fox uh, for one segment to say that uh, she demanded things to change. But that was just about pretty much it. Meanwhile, down in Florida, they – Al Sharpton did go down there with a whole bunch of uh, clergy members and quote-unquote civil rights leaders to protest the governor's opposition to the African-American studies and queer theory courses down there. So, you know, life is about priorities, James. I would say do the basic math, but the people involved in this story can't. How does this... I'm I'm not asking a rhetorical question. I'm asking Derek, how does this happen year after year? And I say that I've been railing about this in New York. New York has had 242. They know about it. it. It's not that this is a secret. They compile the list. And with all the billions that are spent on education in New York, there are 242 plus schools that are failing schools. I would think that if you had a failing school and someone put you on the list of a failing school, there would be kind of a triage approach. Oh, my gosh, we've got a school that is failing children here. The children will come out uneducated. Let's get in there and fix it right now. Let's do everything we have to do to turn this around. Let's bring in the best turnaround uh, strategies that we know of, the best practices. Let's fix this. But no, they just sit year after year. And then people wonder why these kids come out angry. They come out just feeling they have no place in the country. They don't know what to do with their lives. Some of them, many, uh, engage in all sorts of activities that we as a society don't think are helpful. But I guess I'm maybe I'm sounding like a broken record. I guess who really cares? I mean... Who is this? Where are we headed if in America we have city after city after city that is failing to educate children on such a widespread level? Well, you're assuming, of course, James, that the purpose of the education system as absolutely controlled by Democrats in certain geographic areas is education rather than indoctrination. It's funny, you listen to the Democrats talk about the education system, particularly in places like Baltimore, Detroit, Los Angeles, New York, where they've had generational control, 60, 70 years of control. And what do you hear about constantly? It's not about the fact that, you know, that maybe these teachers, some of them aren't up to the task and should be replaced. It is, we have to stop the school-to-prison pipeline. They have this weird priority. The school, have you ever seen the school to prison pipeline? The, the one pipeline Democrats don't ever actually shut down. And they sit there and they talk about, oh, the school to prison. 
And what do they want to do with this school-to-prison pipeline, James? They want to shut down the prisons. I, for my money, if there's you know garbage coming out, if there's trouble at the end of a pipeline, I might want to go and look at where the pipeline is being fed and address it there. But it's not because, well, Democrats have a plan. If The people who don't end up in the prison through that pipeline will be more than likely voting Democrat their whole lives because they will have been successfully indoctrinated into the progressive victimhood philosophy. And they uh, are now working feverishly in jurisdictions across the country to make sure that even if they do get through that pipeline and get into prison, that they can vote from there, too. So there is no benefit whatsoever to being accountable to Democrats. If you fire a teacher, that might irritate the teachers' unions, which might lead to fewer donations and campaign contributions. Meanwhile, and Bernie Sanders is running around this week, said that he wants teachers to be paid a minimum of $60,000 per year for nine months' worth of work. Not a bad deal. I might consider going into education under those circumstances. But um, I would be happy to pay teachers $80,000 a year if we could get rid of tenure, if we could fire the bad ones. It would attract, you know, potentially good teachers, but you'd have to actually be interested in the quality of education of children and whether or not children are learning. That is where the monkey wrench gets thrown into the gears when you talk about Democrats' plans for education. It's about shoveling more money into the pit, not the results. It's not about fixing the school-to-prison pipeline. It is about perpetuating the current system and morphing it ever so slightly to advantage them just a little bit more. All right, let me ask you, what was, in your view, Derek, what were the top, what was your top story this week? What did you, of, of all of the things that you covered, what was the top story for you this week? Well, it's obviously the East Palestine. I, it feels weird saying Palestine. Uh, East Palestine story and the absence of any leadership from Washington, D.C. It turns out that I went and looked up the voting in the last election for the the best I could get was the county, and that contains East Palestine. And the only Republican that did not receive 70 percent or more of the vote was J.D. Vance, who received 69.77 percent of the vote. So it began to – the cynic in me began to realize that maybe, just maybe, that would have been a factor in the White House's passionate indifference towards the health and safety. Of the people of this area. So this is a pretty much a Republican era. Well, that explains a lot. Yeah. That explains it explains why FEMA said disaster aid. Are you kidding? Screw you. You're on your own. <laughs> yeah, no, they they're just pull yourself up by your pull yourself up by your polluted bootstraps. They're waiting for the next balloon. Right now, this weekend, the uh, Biden administration has dispatched naval pilots to every five-year-old's birthday party across the country with a long pin to pop every balloon. Of course, unfortunately, <laughs> that, that pin costs $400,000. So, you know, what are you going to do? Oh, has it been confirmed that the thing that was shot down over uh, on te the thing that was shot down in the northern, one of the northern shoot-downs where we set up our, our magnificent billion-dollar planes, 
was actually a hobby club's balloon? It hasn't been confirmed, but the uh, was it the Indiana balloon hobbyist, whatever it is, <laughs> they might as well just they might as well just call it. I've never kissed a girl club, and I probably never will club. Uh, their balloon has gone missing, and uh, whatever. I just I yeah, you might as well just say the virgins, higher virgins. Just call what it. What it is. So so the Biden administration sends up. For, um, and they shoot on a bunch of kids' balloons. <laughs> they use a four hundred thousand dollars Sidewinder missile, James. You, if you want, on the first one, if you want to bring down the big one, you pop, you punch a couple of holes in it with some bullets. We've all seen Top Gun. We've all seen they have ma- machine guns. It might be hard to squeeze off just one round, but you can squeeze off a couple. Put it through the balloon. It'll probably descend slowly, and we will have the the payload intact. Instead, they took a $400,000 miss. Now you could say, well, if you shoot a bullet through it, that bullet's going to come down somewhere and it'll go through and it'll come down somewhere. It could hurt somebody on the ground. Okay. Maybe, maybe a little whale if you shoot it toward the sea, but if you launch a $400,000 explosive missile through it and it doesn't explode because there's really no substance to it to cause it to explode, it will crash into the water. Maybe a whale eats it and blows up, or maybe it washes up on the beach somewhere, even if you shoot it toward the east in the Atlantic. So I'm not really sure that they thought through all of these things. But then again, we're dealing with somebody with Joe Biden's cognitive abilities, depending on which kind of medicines they pumped him full of. And uh, that particular day and how dilated his eyes are, you're not dealing with somebody with well, let's just say you'd rather have somebody from the Baltimore school system on your uh, Trivial Pursuit team than the president of the United States. <laughs> Derek Hunter is with us. 800-848-WABC is the number to call. 800-848-WABC. We are coming back in a few moments. Don't go away. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Radio 77 WABC. Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Chuck Mazion brings us back. From the Chase the Clouds Away album, his mega hit, Feels So Good. We are here with the legendary, the one and only, the celebrity radio host, columnist, author, Derek Hunter. Derek, <laughs> okay, yeah. Derek, let's let, let's talk Don. Let's talk Don. Okay, poor mm-hmm. Don, poor Don Lemon. 
I feel. Uh, wait, poor Don Lemon. Don Lemon says, you know, Haley, uh, Nikki Haley announces she's running for president, as we discussed last week that she would. Nikki goes out and starts campaigning, and here's CNN's morning show. Don Lemon, surrounded by what's-her-name and what's-her-name, says to the two what's-her-names and to the world, you know, Nikki's past her prime. Maybe, you know, she's past her. And all hell breaks loose. The this the president of CNN or the CEO, whatever they, his title is over there, Chris Lick, he's the chairman. He has publicly slammed his own host for making upsetting, unacceptable, and unfair comments. This is about a Republican woman, so that's the number one surprise. Usually Republican women are fair game. You can call them anything in the world, and no one cares. But all of a sudden, you had one of these hostesses of the morning get up and take what is being called a perfectly timed bathroom break. She left the set. She was upset. And then the others are griping. They're mad. This follows stories that that he's been fussing with these two gals on the morning show anyway. And so there are calls for him to be fired. And then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar stepped in and tried to, you know, smooth it over. Well, you know, this is really what he meant. You know, women are really at their, he meant to prime in their childbearing years. And and people on social media had a cow over Kareem. It's like, shut the hell up. When did past her prime, when did past her prime become a fi- it, it, wasn't an issue in, it wasn't an, an issue in 2016 with Hillary Clinton's age being about 20 years greater than what uh, Nikki Haley's is right now. But Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has never been accused of being particularly brilliant, let's be honest. But uh, Don Lemon, there should be a rule of thumb. There should be a rule of thumb. If if I were to weigh in on certain issues, I would be accused of, you know, I'm not a member of this group or that group, therefore I cannot weigh in on it. Well, if Don Lemon, he's going to have to prove that he's kissed a girl before he can talk about women and their prime. But I, my favorite part of the whole thing, my favorite part of the whole thing there, James, was the part where his defense of it, once, once Poppy Harlow started going, what the hell are you talking about? His defense was, Google it. It's when you Google and then like what? When when you Google when is a woman in her prime, this is what comes up. I did. I literally Googled when is a woman in her prime and what comes up is it's all about her uh childbearing age, her childbearing ability and uh, which I didn't I mean I have to I have to go and reread the constitution this weekend because I wasn't sure that you know having a kid was part of the requirements to to be a president of the United States. But it's interesting that CNN host, a former primetime host, the star of the network, because it's him and maybe Jake Tapper, that's how pathetic things are over at CNN, they're, admi- they're admitting that their research, their knowledge base consists of the top three results in a Google search. And they don't even click on the link to read the whole story to get the context. It's the headline and the two sentence summary. That if you click on it, you'd see that it would it had to do with with childbearing. 
Don Lemon didn't bother to do that. He said, well, don't, don't take it up with me. Take it up with Google. You didn't take it up with Google. You put in a couple of words. Why is he searching when is a woman in her prime? What kind of search history does Don Lemon's computer have on it? Can we get into his browser? Do we want to get into his browser history? We're going to need a Silkwood shop if we get into his browser history. I mean, I don't know what goes on over there, but they have a lot of people who work at CNN, and apparently none of them have the job of quality control or educating their hosts. But okay, but answer me this: Do you do, do you think the guy? There are calls. Seriously, there are a lot of calls for CNN to fire him yeah. over this. Now, I am not a Dan, Don Lemon fan, but I, I don't want to see the guy fired and lose his job. I mean, the show is tanking. I mean, if you say okay, the show doesn't have any ratings, well, okay. But then again, when did CNN? When has CNN had ratings in the past five years? And I'm not, you know, I don't want to rag on the people at CNN. They do a good enough job themselves of just, but. No, rag on them. They rag on us all the time. I don't, I don't, you ask me a question that I have two opposite answers for. Personally, no, I don't want to see anybody fired over something like this. We work in the business where we talk for a living. And I write for a living and easily nitpicker. You know, one wrong comma, and suddenly it's you know open season on me. That having been said, Don Lemon is one of the cheerleaders of the people who do just that and cancel conservatives all the time. Getting a nice big dose of their own medicine every once in a while is something that I absolutely 100% support. When you you got to force these leftists to take their own medicine sometimes, so they can understand that. Uh, and blame themselves for making it a really sharp, jagged-edged suppository. So if that means that Don Lemon has to lose his job, uh, so be it. I don't care. I'm not going to cry for him, Argentina, but I'm not going to take to the streets and demand that Chris Licht get rid of him. I just don't think he ought to be fired, Pierre. I mean, come on. By the way, by the way, I mean, we're we're talking about politicians here. And it's the worst thing that you can say about Nikki Haley, even if it were true, which I don't think it is, obviously, that she's past her prime. So what? He said she's past her prime. Big deal. I mean, we've no, got a guy that's past his prime in the White past. House. He didn't say Nikki Haley was past her prime, James. His problem was he said that women are past their prime once they reach 50. Women. That wasn't just Nikki Haley, I'm sorry, her sell-by date has already passed. we got to clean out the fridge. It is all women. That's why Pop. look, they weren't outraged. Poppy Harlow wasn't sitting there saying, how dare you attack Nikki Haley like this? She was saying, I'm almost this age. How dare you attack me? So what? Look, well, no, I'm just telling you, you right, that. Right, right, right. You consider this. The ultimately offended liberal women. Okay, as you alluded to earlier, Don Lemon is not the expert on when a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Don... skillfully pointed out for reasons that yes. a Google search could find him. Right. I mean, the next day he was pictured in Miami with his husband. Well, I'm sorry, yeah, his fiance, in the in the in, you know enjoying a dive in the Atlantic Ocean or something. 
I mean, this is not a guy. I mean, whatever he has to say about women, you take with a grain of salt. Yeah, well, Don doesn't really. You take with a beach. You don't take with a grain of salt. You take with a whole beach. Right. So, I mean, but, and then these thin-skinned women at CNN, seriously. He's, so he says something dumb. I mean, who, by the way, in this business, and you also alluded to this, I bet you every single broadcaster, especially those of us that ad-lib for a living and those of us that, uh, that don't talk without the aid of a teleprompter, I bet you in our careers, every one of us has said something that we said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I said something so stupid on the air. <laughs> Never. Never. Look, the point is these are the people who created these standards. They helped create and enforce these rules. So do I have sympathy for somebody who's catching a, a pile of dog excrement over them stepping into this? No, absolutely not. I revel in it. Am I going? Am I rooting for Don Lemon to lose his job? No. Will I lose any sleep if he does? No. But I will enjoy the show. Wow. All right, Derek Hunter, we're going to take a break. When we get back, we have tons of telephone calls. We're going to get get busy on the phones. And also, you know, I was talking about standards earlier. This story that is over in Turkey and Syria, I mean, it's it's a half a world away, so of course we don't maybe... But I, the, it is horrific, Derek. Forty five thousand people dead from yes. an earthquake. One hundred and eighty seven thousand building collapses, and and now people are saying, I thought I lived in an earthquake proof building, and the thing came down in two seconds. Standards. You just mentioned the word standards. Standards, all over. It's not just in America. We bemoan standards. Uh, falling down here, but apparently this idea of standards is something that's going by the wayside. Standards, quality workmanship, pride in your work. What is all of that? James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Your calls, 800-848-WABC. We're going to start with the phone soon. Don't go away. to real New York on 77 WABC. Moody Blues brings us back. I was listening to this earlier in the week. WABC Talk Radio 77. Letters I've written The Moody Blues. Hey, Derek, let me ask you another question here. Um, I'll give you a chance to say a few words. You were the last you were the last guest host that we, the new, a new guest host that we introduced to the uh, Rush Limbaugh audience. Uh, yesterday was the second anniversary of Rush's passing. Uh, just g- give me some thoughts. Well, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was, 
I had been texting with you and David earlier. David sort of disappeared. David Limbaugh uh, disappeared from social media, and I thought that's not a good sign. And so the night before, I I texted David and I said, uh, "Hey, buddy, has everything all right?" And he says, "No, but it will be." Thanks for checking in. And I and you had been sort of short earlier in the week uh, around that time, and I thought that this is not good. And I remember listening that day, and there was a, a longer than usual silence at the beginning. And then the second I heard Catherine's voice, I knew, and it was like, oh, geez, this is it. And uh, it's like I've said a, a thousand times before, everything that the guy did irreplaceable two years on what we have now the industry is it's not the same it's never the same it's never going to be the same imitated it's often imitated never duplicated it's not even convincingly imitated it's not even you know any of the sugar substitutes for the real deal and it's it's sad i miss listening to him i he accompanied me on more road trips and more miles in my car than any other human being ever will, to be honest with you. But starting back in 1989, when my father first introduced me to him on, uh, in, on radio in Detroit up until his last show, it's, there's not really the words for it. I hear that song. I hear the commercial for the book, uh, radio's greatest of all time. And I hear his voice, and you know, I'm cooking, and it it gives me pause. Just the, the beats of that bass, it uh, it's one of those things that you know, especially working in this industry. But even before I worked in this industry, it would have frozen me in my tracks. Two years seems like two minutes, and um, we could really use him right now, to be honest with you. Absolutely. Let's head to the telephones very quickly, and we will start with Robert in Suffolk County. Robert, good morning. How are you? Hi, good morning, James. I think you have maybe the best show all week. I look forward to the radio extravaganza. Thank you. Say hello to Derek, and what's on your mind? Hi, Derek. Good morning to you. Good morning. I appreciate what you have to say. Well, thank you. Uh, I wanted to comment about uh, James and standards. I was a test technician for a military contractor, subcontractor, and I tested aircraft electronics for most major programs. C-130 was one of the big ones. And nothing would go under my nose. I told the production manager that it has to meet the specification or my test stamp does not go on the traveler, you know, with the production uh, data Mm -hmm. and the test report. And the reason is... It has to be good because... When standards are not upheld, people are harmed or killed. They can die. 
And this is something that I think, you know, it's one thing when you start looking at, thank you so much for the call, Rob, but it's one thing when you look at the, as the people in Turkey right now and Syria are saying, we thought we lived in earthquake-proof buildings. By the way, I wonder if people in Los Angeles and other areas out there are saying, hmm, hmm, looking at this, wondering if their earthquake buildings would stand the kind of earthquake that happened there. But this fight against standards is happening everywhere in our society. We're Look, seeing. I was, just, ahead, I was just down in Florida. I was just down in Florida for a week visiting the in-laws, and uh, you talk about standards. You can see the age, the older buildings after the hurricanes. It was I was right in the Fort Myers, Cape Coral area, right where hurricane the hurricane Ian devastated it. Still, there's blue tarps everywhere. But you could tell the difference on roofs. You could tell the difference between the buildings that were built relatively new to the ones that had been around a while and maybe haven't been up- updated. There are standards, and standards evolve because technology invol- evolves. We create stronger uh, windows, hurricane-proof windows. My in-laws were telling me about things, literally pieces of garage door, pieces of roof bouncing off of their their impact windows. Uh, it's devastating, but you know, when you look at what happened over in uh, the middle over Turkey in that area, it's people think, well, it's a member of NATO. It's a, it, for the most part, is a third world country and has been a third world country economically for most of the, the 20th century. Most of what was built and fell down was built with that in mind. It wasn't the new construction that I saw that fell down and um, you have to be grateful that we live in this country you sit there and you go yes the government is very intrusive and has some ridiculous things that they do but safety uh by and large not exclusively but by and large is one thing that they do well here and frankly it's it's, it's cheaper to build it cheaper so that something would fall over you can't plan for your worst day you shouldn't govern for your worst day you shouldn't build for your worst day but you should come pretty damn close to having some kind of standards that uh, it could stand up to a lot of i mean this was a massive earthquake but um yeah i i I don't know what else to say about it without really getting personal beyond that it's just a horrible tragedy that hopefully in this country we because we have let's face it california when i was a kid I was told that thing was going into the ocean sooner or later. And uh, we have standards for building out in California that will prevent most of the buildings from collapsing. The earthquake in 1989 during the World Series is a prime example of that. Thank God for that. Well, I think that we have to – you keep saying standards evolve, standards evolve, and you're right about that when it comes to – physical assets. I wonder about the standards that we have concerning our our society's intellect right now. The standards <laughs> where, uh, seriously, I mean, we're actually, I, I cannot believe some days that we are in a debate whether a man is a man and a woman is a woman. I can't believe that this consumes so much time in America. I can't believe that we're in a debate over um, the the idea that children should have the right to attend a school that actually educates them. I cannot believe some of the things that we... Look at the, the standards in the military. Uh, there was a, a video, by the way, 
about some, and I don't want to pick on anybody, but there was a video that showed the difference in standards in some of the police departments and, and, and showed, you know, how the standards have been lowered so that you have police officers who are physically incapable of chasing down anybody. I'm not trying to be mean, but I mean, we, we are, it seems in America, and correct me if I'm wrong, we are in a, in a race to lower standards for almost everything in the name of diversity and inclusion. Hey, some of those police officers would be able to catch somebody if they fled on foot downhill, just because eventually inertia would have, uh, was that out loud? Does that mean, look, uh, yes, standards are going the way of the dodo. It's because we don't hold people to them, and especially the people who are, you know, the ones who are supposed to be the gatekeepers, the teachers, the trainers, things like that, that uh, they can't, the people that they are supposed to instill these standards in, they aren't insisting upon them. So we end up in a situation that uh, they just go, well, let's lower them. We need female firefighters. So let's just hope that they never have to carry anybody who weighs more than 100 pounds down a flight of stairs. And I'm sure it'll all work out just fine. That sort of mentality. It's perverse. It's polluted. It's it's progressive. There's the one word that sums it all up. Thank you so much, Derek. We'll look to hear from you next week, my good friend, Derek can Hunter. I speak to your producers, James, can you put me on hold and I speak to Put them on hold. Yep, really quick. Yep, go ahead. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly. We are here for our number duo. Rhonda's going to join us in our number two. And Todd Bensman, Todd Bensman has a new book. He is America's immigration expert. We'll be back. Our Saturday morning radio extravaganza continues here on WABC. It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Thank you, Danny, for the news. Uh, listen, folks, I'm going to take some telephone calls. Rhonda's coming up this half hour. Hey, Scott, have you been following this business with uh, J.K. Rowling? Uh, what you've been talking about, uh, outside of that, not much. There's another horror author, and I, I wouldn't know a thing about horror. I don't read horror stuff. I don't watch horror movies. I know a lot of people like horror movies. You like horror movies? I, sometimes. There you go. Do you I, watch? I don't seek them out a lot, but you know, once in a while. Wait, but Harry Potter isn't horror, though. I know, but I'm, the, the story is about a horror author. She oh. signs a letter. She's a trans. It. I don't know whether to call her a she or I don't, and I'm not trying to be funny. This this stuff confuses me sometimes. Anyway, a transgendered author, I'll just leave it at that, named uh, Felka, Mart, Felka Martin, basically said that she wishes that not only J.K. Rowling, but others that she considers to be transphobic all had one throat. What so, does that mean? So that she could slit it. It's a death threat. And this is decrying the New York Times trans coverage 
there's a whole big controversy about the New York Times and transgender cover. I'm, I, I get so sick of this stuff. It's like, really? Just, just, and, and J.K. Rowling, this poor woman, I mean, poor woman, she's this, this rich, poor woman. I mean, she brings the world Harry Potter. It's, you know, first of all, I remember when Harry Potter stuff first came out. I had some friends. I'm not letting my kids see Harry Potter. It's witchcraft. It's witchcraft. It's fantasy. It's like not real. Those were the days. It's witchcraft. Okay. So I, I finally, I have never read a Harry Potter book, but I've seen the movies and it's like, yeah, okay. I mean, so little Hermione's grown up to be a lib activist and Harry Potter's a lib activist and so who cares? It's all fantasy stuff. But they were good stories. I mean, the stories were good. The name that can't be mentioned, and all this. Camille, did you did you did you watch Harry? Did you watch Camille? Did you watch Harry Potter? It's on. It's on. Yeah, I watched all those things. I was just telling Diego like there was always this situation where there's like one kid in the class whose parents said they can't watch this. And they had to go sit like in another classroom and read a book or something while you watched like Ellen Enchanted or Harry Potter. I'm like, what's with that? You watched what? Ella, Ellen Ella Enchanted. What is that? It's a movie. It's like a Cinderella kind of movie. Like, um, she Wait had magical powers. Um, Anne Hathaway is in this. I think also Vivian an evil witch. Everything. Yeah, you know, like like Princess like, Diaries type type movies. Like they were showing this stuff in school. Yeah, like on movie day. We've seen Harry Potter. We've seen movie lots of day? Harry Potter. Yeah, at school. What? We'd sit in the auditorium. <laughs> they'd put on a movie for the kids. We we had that growing up. Scott, did you have movie day in school? Uh, not on a regular basis. I think like you know, <laughs> right, right before like like spring vacation or something, they might they might do that, but not. Uh, no, we didn't. Uh, we 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 did a lot more learning, I think, than than these days. Movie day. Well, yeah. well, and I feel like in my school, the teachers who were um, lazy or they just didn't want to teach that day, they were just like, "I'll oh, just let them watch a movie." I think that's what. Yeah. What movie day well, was. exactly. Let the little. <sighs> we, we used to we used to watch the movies. Any books that we read, if there was like a film. We'd mm-hmm. watch the film after we read the book. Oh yeah, yeah, like of of Mice and Men or or Sounder. Something like you that. You actually, yeah. they actually had of mice and men. Yeah, mice and man. Yeah. Did they show the Godfather? No, <laughs> I don't think we read that. That was a book. That was a book. Uh, okay. So anyway, I, I didn't know about this other one, but this. I mean, this poor, this poor rich woman, J.K. Rowling. I mean, Harry Potter. I mean, they were good stories, and just because she says, you know, men are men and women are women. All of a sudden now, it's like you got these people. This 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 other transgender person wants to slit her throat. You, there's something really odd about the thinking that some of that 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 gets people with all of this business. I can't believe that they showed movies in school. Boy. So I've got a news story here that uh, a friend of the show sent us. Okay. That I can't. I, it's I verified it, but it is hard to find. So you know, President Trump is going to be visiting 
East Palestine, right? You, you saw that. Oh, he, is it Palestine or Palestine? I think, I'm, I think the Ohioans pr- pronounce it Palestine. Ohio has a litany of towns that have the same name as everything else, and they may, in a lot of cases, they they pronounce them differently. So I think it's East Palestine. I think that's how they say. It. Okay, but so you know, the, you know Trump Trump is going to be visiting, right? He's he, going to visit the Palestinians. Did you know that? Yeah, I knew he okay. was going out there. Do you know what FEMA announced about an hour after he said he was going to visit? No. FEMA reverses course, will send assistance team to East Palestine following the train derailment. What? Yeah, yeah. This is according to WKYC. I found it on The Hill, but I can't find it on Fox News. I can't find it on CNN. I can't find it on MSNBC. Nobody wants to report this. Wait a minute. So all of a sudden, FEMA took the middle like finger an down. Hour, an hour at, like an hour after Trump announced he was going to visit, FEMA took the middle finger down and said, hey, we're going to go. Well, well, well. This happened last night. Nobody's reporting it. I wonder. I didn't see it today. I visited yeah. all the. I've been up visiting news sites. I didn't see that. Yeah. Wow. So they're gonna give. They're gonna. They're gonna pretend to give just, Ohio just, some help. Just hours that. after saying he quote did not expect members of the Federal Emergency Management Agency to be announced East Palestine, Ohio. Uh, Governor Mike DeWine now confirms the government entity will in fact be sending a crew to assist with the aftermath of the train derailment in the village. Well, then that's something. And poor old Pete Buttigieg has been taking a lot of flack for his lack of Department of Transportation. You know what he did? He came out and he kept saying, ah, so what? We had one train derailment. Look at all the trains that get there on time. We have a great safety record. Thanks, Pete. Competency. Boy, did you hear that your Apple Watch could be banned? I did not. Oh, my friends. Yeah, you have an Apple Watch, huh? Yeah, Apple, the international, the U.S. International Trade Commission, the ITC, ruled in December that Apple infringed on a medical device company, AliveCore's wearable electrocardiogram patents. The ruling could result in an import ban on popular Apple Watch models unless the Biden administration steps in and says, uh uh, uh I'll let him go. Now, apparently Tim Cook was up over in D.C. lobbying so that they don't do this. The case is going to be in court, but in the meantime, the folks over at this company, they, they, hey, ban this watch. They infringed on our patents. So... Apparently, this is a big deal. Biden has decided to decide this coming week whether he's going to ban your Apple Watches, some of your Apple Watches. So if we need a new one, we should get it now? I, I, I'm not going to be a sales advocate right. for Apple Apple Watches. However, you just raised an interesting point. If you want one, maybe. What do you think the chances are? Come on, really, that that, that, that Biden is will step in. I think the chances are really good. Do you think America's, one of America's most profitable companies, she's going to say, oh yeah, just ban their product. Do you think that... I think there might be some kind of patent uh, lawsuit, certainly. Well, I'm and not saying may... the lawsuit is going to happen, but do you think, I don't think he's going to allow just... a ban of Apple Watches. They might do something until they take out whatever this infringement is. Uh-huh. A judge has ruled it's Charbucks. Oh, I'm sorry. I mispronounced them. 
a judge has ruled that Starbucks cannot fire workers who are trying to unionize. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> boy, the lefties, boy, lefties are just getting a taste of their own medicine. <laughs> you know, the lefties over at Starbucks have to be just, all of a sudden, they're little lefty workers. A lot of them want to unionize, and apparently Starbucks hasn't taken kindly to it. One woman, Hannah Whitlock, who was fired from her position as a shift supervisor in April, the judge says she has to be offered her position back on an interim basis, a substantially equivalent position, if her original post no longer exists without any prejudice to the rights and privileges she already had. She was a union organizer, and Starbucks fired her. They said that she um, skipped work early, and she didn't do some things. She left the store that two workers have to be in the store to manage it. She left, leaving only one worker. So they fired her. But the judge says, no, you can't fire her. She was organizing a union. So you have to take her back and let her organize. (laughs) Poor Starbucks. (laughs) Oh, boy. Starbucks. Uh, Starbucks, yes. Um, I talked about this story uh, story earlier. We will get to your calls uh, shortly. School districts are now dropping honors classes. In the name of equity. And this is happening out in California is one. uh, Culver City High School in California recently axed honors classes because courses were failing to enroll enough black and Latino students. That's according to the Wall Street Journal. Other school districts such as Santa Monica, Malibu, Unified School District, Patrick Henry High School in California have made similar shifts to their honors classes. This is not a social experiment, says John King. This is a sound pedagogical approach to education. So let's get rid of the honors classes because we don't have enough blacks and Hispanics in them. Anybody see anything wrong, odd about this? Wrong? If you don't have enough black and Hispanic kids in your honors classes, why don't you encourage more black and Hispanic kids to meet the criteria? Rather than what this is, is let's just call it what it is. We're tired of white kids being in the honors class, white kids and Asians. So let's just kill off the whole thing. I mean, really? Standards, folks. Standards. So now, if you have a kid out there in these parts, and this is not just California, by the way. This is happening in Virginia. This is happening in other parts of the country. They're getting rid of the honors courses because too many white and Asian kids are doing well and they want more black and 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 latino kids in there and this is just beyond stupidity but this is happening in our society 
And you have educators who are rationalizing this and justifying it and making arguments that this is the right thing to do. And they can't even under, I don't, such a, some of us that think differently than these people, we live in a different universe than them. They actually think this is okay, that this is fair, that they're doing something good. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. We're going to grab some calls when we get back. Don't go away. WABC, the Saturday morning radio extravaganza is in your ears. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. That brings us back on WABC. Raspberry Beret. Let's head back to the telephone, shall we? Ralph in New Jersey, welcome. You're on WABC. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. How are you? Uh, thank you for taking my call, Bo. Uh, I want to say this. Ralph Timbo is the Nostradamus of our time, and uh, we, we sure definitely miss him. At this point in time when the country is being challenged, by external and internal forces, okay? For so, what this uh, disaster of a man, Joseph Biden, is doing to our country, okay? And, um, you know, regarding the, uh, the situation with the China balloon, you know, isn't uh, Schumer kind of like exaggerating when he said, quote, uh, China was humiliated? No, he, you know, it's not about, you know, the humiliation of China as much as it is about the incapability and the weakness of Joseph Biden. And furthermore, he, you know, uh, go on to talk to the panda bear in China and begging, literally begging and begging 
about we don't want any conflict whatsoever. Uh, what was your take regarding this whole thing, Bo? Well, my take is that Joe Biden is a weak leader. And we, and we also, look, the entire world sees this. First of all, he didn't respond right away. You have a balloon floating over your military assets, and you don't shoot it down right away. He waited, he waited, and then public opinion started to turn and become evident that the public expects something to happen. So then he shoots down the balloon and acts like he is a hero for doing it. But you're right, all the same time, oh, we don't want conflict with China. Excuse me, we already have conflict with China. We have had conflict with China. China has been threatening our military assets in the South China Sea. Now, to be fair, I want to give the Biden administration credit for this. They have, under Obama, and by the way, even under Trump, now Trump was very friendly with, much to the chagrin of the mainstream press, he was very friendly toward the Philippine strongman, President Duarte. I mean, Duarte is a piece of work. This guy was a piece of work. This is the guy that came out and pretty much said in his country, oh, drug dealers, listen, if you see them doing drugs, shoot them. I mean, he, he was like, let's kill the drug dealers. And he, this is extrajudicial. He, 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 as president of the country, he was also the one that was talking about uh, how to handle uh, members of the press. And that upset the, the, the liberals all around the world in the press community. This guy, Duarte, was, was a hot mess. But even with that relationship that Trump had, we still had not reopened any of the bases. Now, we still have a presence in the Philippines. But the big American base there at Subic Bay and some of the others were closed. I mean, you could go through, if you ever went over there, the Subic Bay is near Alangapo in the Philippines. If you're ever over there, you, you would see just empty barracks where Americans used to be in that base. And that was one of our strongest bases in the southeast, in the South Pacific. So under Joe Biden, over the last few weeks, we have uh, said that we are going to re-strengthen the alliance between the United States and the Philippines. We're adding more military presence over there. And also the tiny island nation of Micronesia, we are doing the same. So that I will give them credit for. But that's just a little drop in the bucket compared to what China... China has been threatening our ships in the South China Sea. And by the way, Russia has been threatening us too. My question and all of our questions, why do we let China get away with what they did, with what they do? They are aggressively hostile toward us. And meanwhile, our president says, oh, you know, we don't want a conflict with them. Oh, don't bother us. Oh, come on, stop picking on us. Oh, we don't really want to shoot down your balloon. What's going on? We learn, and I don't, look, I, I do not talk about this Hunter Biden stuff much. Because I'm tired of talk. I want to see results. But we do know that Hunter Biden has had serious business dealings with China. There is no question there. And if what is being alleged is true, that the money flows upward 
through the Biden family, we need to get answers on to how deeply invested China is into the Biden family. So you have these places of conflict. You have Ukraine. And it wasn't just Democrats and Hunter Biden over in Ukraine bringing out money. The Romney, Mitt Romney son has some dealings over there in the Ukraine. We know the Clintons did. Ukraine was, has been treated like a cash cow for certain American political families and dynasties. We do not know what has transpired in these areas. We don't know Ukraine. Where has the money flowed to who from what? China. Where has the money flowed from who to what? Russia. Where has the energy money flown in the United States from who to what? There are a lot of people that believe the United States government, people in it up to and including the president of the United States, could be, I repeat, could be compromised. The American people do deserve answers to these questions. And so when we have a a balloon from Russia flying over our military assets and we have the president, the commander-in-chief of the United States military saying, "Ah, we don't know what to do. It it raises questions. I put, let me ask, let me, let me ask you a question. Yes, that is the ebonic ask. Let me ask you a question. Scott, let me ask you this question. Yes. What do you think Beijing would do if we had an American balloon flying over a Chinese military base? <laughs> well, first they'd shoot it down. And then we we wouldn't hear the end of it for at least a month. And I'm sure they would threaten all sorts of action against actual targets on our mainland. Uh-huh. Diego. I don't think that you are Mr. Geopolitical, but just off the top of your head, what do you think the commies over there in China would do if we were flying balloons over their military assets? Exactly what Scott said, shoot it down. Camelia, I know you're busy doing other things, honey. And excuse me for being sexist and calling you honey, but you're not past your prime yet, so I can do that. (laughs) Camelia, What do you think would happen if we flew balloons over Chinese military assets? They would shoot it down immediately, and then they would start sending guys over to look at us and see what we're doing and why. They'd be up in arms immediately. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, thank you. It's unanimous here. The crew, hey, they'd shoot us down in a heartbeat if we did it. So, yes, Ralph, let us ask, all ask, all Americans, ask, ask the question, Let us ask the question, why are we playing nice with China? Why are we bending over for China, the commie Chinese government, and saying, please, please, please don't hurt us? James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, Saturday morning radio extravaganza. We are coming back. We're from Rhonda. We're going to have more of your calls. Later on in the show, Todd Benzman. Todd has a new book. Overrun. And if you want to know what's overrun, our borders. Don't go away.
Radio 77 WABC. Welcome to the golden age of radio. James Golden, a.k.a. Bose Nerdly, is on 77 WABC. Stevie Wonder brings us back from the Intervisions album. Caffeinated mom is here with us, Rhonda Schrock. Happy Saturday, Rhonda. How are you? Good morning, James. I'm about half caffeinated, and that's an ongoing process, but I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually wondering if Derek had had espresso this morning. He was on a roll. Oh, Derek is always <laughs> on a roll. Well, sometimes when he, you know, I love the days that we would we would would catch Derek when he just got out of bed. Oh no! Oh yeah. no! Yeah, yeah, it's so much. It's so much fun. But Derek's is such a such a sweetheart. So he is. anyway, I mean, what is on your mind this beautiful Saturday morning, Rhonda? Well, James, this week I've been thinking a lot about Russia's passing. Um, Rush meant so much to our family. You already know that. And yesterday, you know, the second year, the two year anniversary, I was just sitting there caffeinating actually, and I was thinking about. His, his passing and leaders and leadership and what happens to a movement or an organization when a leader has to leave, because inevitably um, they they will. And I, I realize that it really depends on the kind of foundation that a leader has laid. Um, if a man or a woman has built an empire just sort of on themselves, when they have to leave, uh, the whole thing collapses because they haven't built a foundation that's broad enough or deep enough to sustain the work after they're gone. However, when a leader lays a broad and solid and deep foundation, when it's time for them to go, it doesn't collapse and other people begin to move in and carry that work forward. And I looked at what Rush had done throughout his career, and James, he was that 
kind of leader. I look at him as the leader of the conservative movement, really, in this country. And for decades, he educated us. He inspired us. He encouraged us. And so now that he's had to go, he's left behind the tools for us to grab on and we'll take the baton and move forward. The structure that he built or, yeah, built is the right word, is not collapsing. We, it's our turn now. And now it's not just Rush. It's millions of us who can move forward now in his absence and speak out. And that might be to, to your neighbor. Rush couldn't talk to my neighbors, but I can. You can't speak to anyone else's you know, neighbors, but, but they can. He always said his talent was on loan from God. And I remember it was toward the end of his life, the day that he said, one day that talent will be recalled. And that struck me. And that's what happened. God recalled his talent. But you know what, James? Every single one of us has talent that is also on loan from God. It doesn't have to look like Russia's. It can't, in fact. And so there's where our expectations, we have to manage them. If we think we cannot wait to use our talents until, uh, because we can't do it like Rush or anybody else that we admire, what a loss. What a loss for us and what a loss for the people around us. We can never be rushed. There will never be another one to fill his footsteps. But there is, there's only one you. There's only one me. Well, here's what I love about, you know, here's what I love about about Rush's legacy. You know, before Rush, you can look at the media landscape before Rush and you look at it after Rush. And if if you just took one slice of that, the one slice, how many radio stations were doing talk radio before Rush and then how many after? Now the the yeah. number I think there I think of I I I got the number wrong once so I want to be really careful here, but it's like I think there was, uh, something like, 125 stations were doing talk radio, before Rush came along, and after Rush started the number of formats that increased talk radio rather than be given number let's just say it multiplied by thousands. Thousands wow. more radio programs doing talk. Thousands across mm-hmm. the country. And now if you look at the impact, just that alone, because people don't, you know, you don't, okay, thousands of more shows. What does that mean? Thousands of more shows means tens of thousands, just in this industry, of more wow. jobs. Now you look at the fact that there was no Fox News, there was no nothing on the other side in cable except for CNN was out when, when, when Rush first came. Roger Ailes, who was the executive producer of Rush's television show, and got a chance to really see how that audience would respond, would then move on to become the first chairman and built Fox News into, right now, the dominant still. In spite of the fact, boy, there's some stories today about the 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 uh, Dominion voting files, mm-hmm. do not leave it. It is a news story. Yeah. There's a story today about the files that Dom- Dominion has filed uh, court briefings, and in it, Fox 
is mentioned, and boy, there is a lot of heat because apparently um, some of the Fox News hosts were saying one thing to their audience, but they were saying another thing or different things in emails to themselves. The Hill has a story today about the top ten, the top five revelations that have now come from this. This case is now in court. The filings are making, and we. And by the way, there's also a story that Fox News. It's on Gateway Pundit today about Fox News filings. So this case now that it's in court is going to um, do a lot of. There's going to be a lot in the news about what happened during that election cycle now that this face. But I digress. Fox News didn't exist before Rush. The connection right. between between Fox and Rush is the executive producer of Rush was mm-hmm. Roger Ailes, who brought Fox News into being as its first CEO, of course, under Rupert Murdoch. And then you look at what happened after Fox. You look at OAN, even though they've been thrown off. You look at Newsmax. Then you go through and you look at what happened in the print industry. Rush's first two books changed the publishing industry. And now conservative books are a from being nowhere. And in the publishing, now there are lines. There are conservative imprints of books. Not just a conservative books. Now it is a cottage industry. If you go in the print industry, you have all kind of print news now. Daily Wire, Daily Signal, Daily Caller. The right. Daily BS, the Daily BS. <laughs> yes. You have the American You have the American Wire News. You have BizPack Review. And you go on and on. Their conservative media is now a force in America. It is still in its infancy. But all yes. the tools are there. You have that you have print news. You have electronic digital news. You have Fox television. You have multiple television outlets. America's real voice. You've got some that are still coming up. Now, you put all of that landscape aside, and now look what happens to all of the rush babies, as we used to call them back in the day, that have now gone through college and are entering the workforce. You're seeing them pop up in the movie industry. You're you're seeing them pop up in in the education in industry sector. I I have one popping up in politics, James, largely because of Rush. Right. You've you've just summarized uh that broad foundation that he laid. It it's just unbelievable when you Step back and look at the scope of that. All those doors that he opened now for uh, so many other voices to come along and enter the public sphere. It's just amazing. Nobody else has ever done that. And And, and that's why he's unique. And and, and there's only one person that opens the doors like that on an industry, Mm. on multiple industries. Now it's for everybody else to walk through. And there are plenty of people, thanks to him, to walk through. And they're doing just that. And now let me just say something else. 
there will be someone else that is just as popular that manages to amass an audience. It may not be radio. It may be television. It may be somebody that becomes a conservative leader from uh, academia, from whatever. There will be somebody in the future that will carry a mantle of that. Mm. But there's not going to be, in talk radio, forget about it. It ain't going to happen. Right. Um, did, so did you write this as an essay, Rhonda? I did. I did. Um, it's, gonna, it's going to go on to the Daily BS either today or Monday. Um, though I listened yesterday to an interview uh, of David Limbaugh by Joel Rosenberg, and it was about uh, Russia's journey to faith. It was fascinating. It was inspiring. I loved it. And it just reminded uh, Joel- me— Go ahead. Just, We're running out of time, but it just it just reminded me, James, that you and I know where Rush is, and we know that we will see him again. Right, and that just makes me so happy. Even Thank while you, Rhonda. Yeah. Joel Joel Rosenberg is a dear friend, and you can find. I alluded to that interview earlier. Joel worked with us with the Rush show. Joel was our man in Washington, the first one. Joel was there at the very beginning of the days with the Rush Limbaugh news, the, the Limbaugh letter. Um, Joel has posted that uh, as well. And mm-hmm. I, in fact, I, I've heard from Joel this morning. He sent me a nice tweet, and I have to respond to him after the show. So anyway, Rhonda, thank you very much. Yeah. We do appreciate it, as always. James Golden, A.K. Yeah. Sterling, we're coming back Saturday morning, Radio Extravaganza. Do not go away. More of your calls coming up after this. Welcome aboard. Nice to see you again, sir. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. It is Saturday morning here on WABC Talk Radio 77. You want to be part of the program, 800. 848-WABC. Sting brings us back. Love is the seventh wave. Every power we never see. There is 
Tommy in Brooklyn. Thank you for being so patient and waiting. How are you this morning, Tommy? Um, I'm doing great morning, Bo. Um, I think you inherited some of Russia's passion, so I, God gave you a gift with that. With regards to standards, yeah, you are. Uh, with regards to standards, I like the way you presented that segment. Um, with schools and honor classes, uh, that encourages people to excel and strive for excellence, you know? If someone is offended by that, then hit the books, you know? We shouldn't dumb down students, and we shouldn't promote stu- – we should be promoting students to do their best and to be their best. As a um, um, – the other thing I wanted to say was, you know, our school system has been um, slowly degrading with regard to excellence. You know, other countries are, are surpassing us on education and innovation. The attitude of our society on education is that it's not so important to uh, to get a good grade. It's only important that you participate. You know, everybody gets a participation trophy. You know what I mean? I think it's worse than that now, Tommy. I think look at what look at what we're arguing about in the schools. We're arguing about whether boys that want to pretend they're girls can go in girls' bathrooms and look at naked girls and go in girls' locker rooms with their danglies hanging out and be around naked girls. And we're arguing whether whether teachers can groom kids into a sexual uh, pathway in life. We're arguing about whether teachers can keep. Uh, can can try to not only groom quick kids but do it uh, quietly without parents' permission and encourage kids to believe that they're the wrong gender. Look at the other things we're arguing about, whether men should be allowed to play in girls' sports because they think they, because they say they're women, even though they still have male parts, male hormones. Look at all of that that we're wasting our time. We're wasting our time trying to teach black kids to hate America because uh, the 1619 version of history is different than the version of history that came up before. We're teaching kids that if they uh, excel too much, that something's wrong with them, that they have privilege. We're teaching one group of kids that they should hate themselves because they were born white. We're teaching another group of kids that they could consider themselves eternal victims because they're not white. This is all going on in American school, and where in the hell is the reading? Where in the hell is we're living in a complex technological world where you need skills? So what are they learning besides all this social garbage? Meanwhile, in Baltimore, 2,000 kids take a math test, and not one of the 2,000 can pass math test on reading level. And yet we spend more money than most countries combined on education. This is pathetic. Tommy, you get the last word. You know what, you know, and instead of teaching reading, writing, and arithmetic, now it's more important to teach frivolous curriculum about gender, like we were just saying, race and equity. You know, we need to light the fire of passion for learning and to help these kids, lift these kids out of their, you know, out of their slum, whatever, and and find that passion uh, to be better. Let them know and show them that they can be, and they can do anything, you know. We are are a great country. What the hell's going on here? Exactly right. One other thing. We have almost abolished the idea of vocational schools. Now, there are a lot of people, oh, well, we, we can't have, we can't steer some kids into thinking that they can't perform academically. You've got kids failing in math, and yet we abolish vocational schools as an alternative. Vocational schools for the kids that actually don't want to sit up and pay attention in school but are good and gifted at working with their hands or their passion is 
I want to be a carpenter. I want to be a mechanic. I want to be work with electronics. I want to work with tech. And it's just insane that we do not cater to those children by teaching them exactly where they have natural, natural aptitude. But no, we can't do that. Everything that was in place before these liberals took over, they have destroyed everything. They've destroyed vocational schools. They've destroyed the idea that if kids misbehave in schools, they ought to be taken out of those schools and put in hardcore boot camps type schools with stern disciplinarians who are not going to take their crap. But get them away from students so that there's none of this bullying and none of these murders on campus and the rest of it. Get the little thugs and put them in thug school. That was it if you really want to break it down. Get the thugs out of normal school and send them to thug school. But no, we can't do that because it's not fair. Liberals have destroyed every single thing that made education great in this country. And and when you rail, rise up against it, what's their answer? Their answer was, screw you. Let's send more money from these teachers' unions to the Democrats so we can do even more destruction. And the beat goes on. Lou, in Wontaw, Long Island, thank you for waiting. How are you, Lou? Okay, very good. Um, <clears throat> I want to say uh, God bless Rush Limbaugh and Rush Limbaugh's ethics which are his, were his standards, and his ethics came from God. And I also like to say about the um, standards in construction. Standards in construction are codes, and codes are brought out out of hard work over years of uh, uh, cause and effect, failure, and to improve things. Now, we know that rebar in concrete improves concrete for uh, uh, intention. We know that rebar improves concrete for earthquakes, and there's no building that's earthquake proof. It's earthquake resistant up to what degree of uh, the seismic scale. And I look at those those pictures of the rubble in in Turkey. I don't see any rebar. What's yep. a few sparkles here or there? If a building yep. collapses in 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 America, there's rebar all over the place. It's it's like a cage. These buildings have no rebar. Why? Because rebar is expensive. It's expensive to install. It's expensive to make. We, our rebar in this country, we, we even went one step further. We have rebar that has epoxy on the outside of it in areas that we use the rebar where there's salt, like on roads and bridges, to, to protect the rebar from rusting. So these are the standards that we... Uh, that we've gone by, but the inspector has to have standards, and his standards have to be based in ethics. And if he has no ethics, he's going to take bribes, and that's what and the failure becomes. This is the thing, the very thing that you are saying, sir, is what residents in Turkey are saying. They're saying they're looking at the rubble, and they're saying where is, in their words, I read a story today, guys, saying there's no iron in this concrete. He's saying what you're saying that they were put up shoddily and they passed inspection without having any of this. People were duped into believing that their housing over there and, and there is rising anger 
You have a death toll of 45,000 people. But at least we keep pointing fingers over there and saying, oh, my goodness, those poor people. They didn't lower, they lowered their standards. They didn't adhere to their standards. And look what happened. Well, hold up the American mirror and look at what's happening to America. Look at what is happening to your schools. Look what is happening to your children. Look what is happening to your money. There's a report today, have it right, right here. The U.S. will tack on $19 trillion in debt over the decade as spending soars. The CBO predicts U.S. is likely to add $19 trillion more to the national debt, $3 trillion higher than previously thought. Why? Well, because we're making and printing money that doesn't really exist to satisfy financial standards that have disappeared. That's it for the second half hour. I mean, second hour in Zikan. Todd Benzman is going to join us in the next hour. He is the author of Overrun. Now, Todd Benzman and I do a podcast on the border, and we have been doing one about the shameless plight of the borders. But he'll be joining us. His new book is out. And then your calls are also a big part. So if you're on hold, stay on hold. Don't go away. Coming right back after the news. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. If you want to be part of today's program, 800-848-WABC is the number to call. The gang's all here. And we welcome you, 800-848-9222. Uh, later this hour, we will have Todd Benzman with us. Todd Benzman and I have been doing a podcast, Red Apple Media. It can be found on all, under all of the podcasts, On the Border. And he is an amazing journalist. He is with the uh, Center for Immigration Studies. And, you know, Todd's articles appear everywhere. Daily Mail, New York Post, uh, just to name a few. They are in depth because this is a guy that actually doesn't sit at home and write about events far away. He actually goes there. He's been to the border. I don't know how many times goes to the Southern border of Mexico to get his stories as well. He talks to the people that are coming in. He's uncovered so many things. So I can't wait for you to hear Todd Benzman. He's an extraordinary journalist. If he were writing about something that liberals actually wanted to hear about, he'd be nominated for a Pulitzer, I'm sure of it. But since he's done all this work uncovering what happens at the border, oh, they pretend he doesn't exist over at the New York Times or Washington Post. But uh, anyway, you've got that. Now, I wanted to get to some phone calls because I don't want to leave everybody hanging until the end of the show. So let us head back to 
the telephone. Chris from the Catskills, let's start with you. How are you doing, Chris? Hey, good morning, Bo. How are you? Good, thank you. I had a question about uh, the Fairness Doctrine in 1987 was abolished by Congress, and that was the genesis of when Rush Limbaugh and conservative talk radio took off. What do you think would have happened with Rush's radio career and with the genre of partisan political talk radio if the Fairness Doctrine had never been abolished? That's a curious phrase you just used. You said the genre of partisan what? Political talk radio. As opposed to the genre of liberal exclusionary radio that was present in American media before, I take it. Well, I mean, look, from I started listening to talk radio around 1987. Larry King and Don Imus. Uh, were the I had a morning job delivering newspapers in my car, and I started listening to Don Imus right after he got out of rehab, like early 1988. And the genre of sports talk radio started up like late 86. And, you know, if actually if Don Imus hadn't have gone over to that radio station and they were WFAN, the Emmis Broadcasting, uh, bought out the contract of the late WNBC that was folding, he actually brought profitability to WFAN Sports Radio. Otherwise, the genre of sports talk radio maybe would have never caught on like it did or it would have taken another 10 years. So the, the genre of sports talk radio has Don Imus to thank for that. But I, I just, I, in my opinion, I don't think there's really too many good uh, liberal talk radio hosts. Tom Hartman's pretty good nowadays. In the mid-'90s, uh, there was a couple people that were actually pretty good, but I don't think anybody's ever profitably made any money off of liberal talk radio ever. Well, they tried I mean, to. I mean, they had Scott help me here. Who was that girl that was down in Florida? Uh, Randy, Randy Rhodes. Yeah, Randy Rhodes, and then they had Stephanie Miller, and then they had this guy in Texas that used to claim he was the liberal answer to Rush. Um, Big Ed Schultz, Schultz, Ed Schultz wasn't there? The, the... No, Ed Schultz was the guy that was pretending to be a conservative until he jumped over to MSNBC. Okay. Um, there was some guy in Texas, I forget his name now, because he's fairly so flopped, and he kept, you know, hounding around that he was the liberal answer to Rush Limbaugh. And then they were all excited when 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 uh, Governor Mario the Pious, Mario Cuomo, as Jesse Jackson pronounces it, Mario Cuomo was going to do a radio show, and ooh, finally, the liberals going to have somebody to answer Rush Limbaugh. And he uh, crashed and burned with that. And here's the thing. Liberals owned everything else. They owned television. They owned the print media. They owned the print media to the point that if you look at one of, at the stories on television at night, and you looked at the Wall Street Journal, you look, and I'm not talking about the editorial page. If you looked at the New York Times, the Washington Post, the L.A. Times, the Chicago Tribune, the Atlanta Urinal and Constipation, the and some of the other papers, all you had to do was look at what was in the papers and then look at TV that night. It was all the same tripe. And never 
were there any contradictory stories to their narrative? Now, if you think you could trust them to get all the news, look at what they did with the Hunter Biden story. It it didn't exist for them. But you could look at so many other stories that didn't exist for them. I dare say if there were a conservative, quote-unquote, press in America during the time of Watergate, Richard Nixon would have probably not been impeached. But instead, you had the leading force for all of this was the what is now the Amazon Prime Washington Post uh, with, with Woodward and Bernstein, who are still hanging around like dinosaurs. If you look at the history of it, there, America had been fed one side of news for over 100 years, that being liberalism. The reason that Rush broke through, and in part, yes, the Fairness Doctrine did open it up. What was the Fairness Doctrine? To people that don't know, it was like if you had you, of the view. So if you have one person on this, and this says this, you have to have another person on this says that. Well, that was under the Reagan era of deregulation. It was gone. But liberals never adhered to the Fairness version during the years that it was enacted, they never put on conservative voices. They may have, they may have had one liberal and then somebody that's a little less liberal. They may have had an environmentalist wacko, wacko, and then they just have a regular environmentalist wacko. But you never got the other side of the argument. And that's what Rush did. Rush raised the other side of the argument. Now, you said partisan this partisan, the genre of partisan talk. Everything that has happened in the mainstream press is partisan, and yet people don't attach that label to them. It is partisan. I challenge any of you, anybody, name me one Republican president that has gotten favorable press coverage. One. Think about it. Let me grill the staff. Camille, Camilla, name me one Republican president, one Republican president that you know about that had something that, that, that the press was nice to or, or even had anything to say, oh, he was a decent president. One Republican president. Hmm. I, haven't been, I haven't been alive that long, Bo. Um I'll guess. You neither has anybody else in the last room. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, George Bush. Which one? Senior. Forty-one or forty-three, and and they they George Bush forty-three. They said he was a liar and a warmonger. Forty-one. They said he was a horrible person until he raised taxes, and then they gave him a little bit of flack because they knew that would be his death. Do you, it, it's, there are names that I'm sure you haven't even studied because they don't teach them much in school. The last Republican president that they kind of said, well, we're not going to pick on him as bad as we pick on anybody else, right. was a guy by the name of Dwight D. Eisenhower. Mm, Eisenhower, okay. Yes, because Eisenhower had led this country successfully through World War II, was elected president. His term, they didn't do much in his term. But it was... He went and played golf a lot. And they let him alone a little bit. But that was the last one. Diego, name me a Republican president you think 
has gotten favorable news coverage. Okay, first, I, I was confused because Eisenhower was a general during World War II? Was that? Oh, oh my God. Or was he a president? He, he wasn't he president. He was the during... supreme allied, he was the supreme allied commander. Supreme, that's United what he was. Of, Right. General Dwight D. Eisenhower. Yes. yes. Okay. I don't know. That, from what from what you said, I, I, I thought you meant he was president. And I was like, wait, no, it was FDR then, then Truba. But no. Um, all right. So a president, a Republican president that has has had a po- positive press coverage, correct? That's the yeah, question? That they, yeah. Yeah. That they, everybody, yeah, he's a nice, he's great. President, he's a nice guy. Like Obama got, Obama could walk on water. According to the press, he did nothing wrong. He didn't do anything. Obama was great. One. I wasn't alive. I wasn't alive. But from what I hear, Ronald Reagan was just very popular. And I feel they like hated they hated Ronald him. Okay. Reagan. Okay. I wasn't, they I wasn't there. They called him a dunce. I was not no, there. <laughs> Let me, I'm, just, I'm glad you said it. The, in the press, they called him an amiable dunce. They made fun of him. They picked on his wife. They they hated Ronald Reagan. Wow. I've only heard of him because he invaded my parents' country, like, whenever that was. <laughs> Uh-oh. You're talking about Granada, baby. Granada, so you yeah, passed yeah, from yeah. Granada, huh? Yep, yep, yep. Oh, no. Oh, baby. He invaded. <laughs> you know why he invaded Granada? Something to do with Cubans. Something to do with, I don't have, I have no idea. All I know is Something to do with those commies that were. The commies. Okay, something right. to do with those commies that were running the country then and decided to put Americans in harm's way, and he wasn't going to stand for it. All I know is my uncle only has one arm now. Oops. 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 Yeah, what happened to Camelia? You're right there. Uh, yeah. You're there, right? Yeah. yeah. It was a yeah, quick one. Right. It, it only took, it only took, that, that, that was a quick one, though. That, oh, that invasion only took about 20 minutes. And we didn't really hurt that was, 20 minutes. I'm not kidding. It took about, yeah, it took about 20 minutes. We landed there, took it over, and then got the Americans out and came home and, and no harm, no foul. Right in time for supper. Exactly. <laughs> God. So this, this doesn't have to be in our lifetime, right? It doesn't have to be in uh, your let lifetime. Me, let, me, let me try Theodore Roosevelt. They love Theodore Roosevelt. Bam! They love Theodore Roosevelt because Theodore Roosevelt was the beginning of the environmentalist wacko movement. How about Ulysses Grant? I wasn't. See, I don't know the press coverage of Ulysses Grant, but I have an opinion on Ulysses S. Grant. Ulysses S. Grant, of course, was the great general that finally gave us victory in the Civil War. As a president, he was one of the most corrupt presidents in United States history. And I was originally going to say Abraham Lincoln, but he, as of late, isn't doing very well. Well, Abraham Lincoln has a statue. You're right. As of now, they don't like him that much either. But Abraham Lincoln was, of course, the first Republican president. And why did the Republican Party come into being? The Republican Party came, oh, let me ask that question. Let me see how well they know their history. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Kevin, we're playing quiz the employees now. We're, so so we've already asked about American presidents and all that, Kevin. So now we're playing quiz the employees. All right. So I'm going to ask you a simple question. There is a wrong answer, but don't worry if you don't get it. Okay, hit me. Why, what was the reason that the Republican Party was formed? 
Oh, oof. Mm. Um, I have no idea. Is it something okay. to do? I, I know that, you know, the policies of the Republican Party were pretty much flip-flop with what they are today uh, back in mm-hmm. the, the formation of the party. No? Correct me if I'm wrong. Okay, I'm correcting you. Okay. No, they haven't really flip-flop, <laughs> but, but it's an interesting. Okay. No, and, I, and, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to embarrass you or anything. I'm just trying to ask because I, most people don't know because it's not really taught. So I don't blame you for not knowing. Okay, so Kevin, thank you. Let me. I have the answer. I have the answer, James. This is Danny. I have Danny. The okay, but you got to wait till last. All right. Okay. Okay, <laughs> Camille. Camille. Camelia. Can, can I hit the Google search real quick? <laughs> no. <laughs> Why was the Republican Party formed? To go against the Democratic Party. Oh, boy. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. We'll take it. Okay, but thank you. We'll take that one. Diego, why was the Republican Party formed? Do not look at search engines. I I, I don't know, but I do know that there was such thing as the Democratic Republican Party at some point, like like early 1800s. Is that, does that have something to do with, with it? Question? No. No? Okay. And the Democrat-Republican Party exists now. It's called the Uniparty. It's oh, the really? Republican. I have no is, idea. See, no this idea. is it's the it's the Repu- <laughs> No, no. I'm the, in, in a way, I'm just I'm just making fun because in a way, a lot of people say there's not a lot of difference between Republicans and Democrats now. And so they call it the Uniparty. But there is uh, a lot of difference. Okay, Scott, I'm like you I'll know tr- I I'm going to guess, but it's probably wrong. I'm going to guess because to to end slavery. That's all I can come up with. Danny, what is the answer, Danny? So there was this thing called the Kansas-Nebraska Act, and it really angered a lot of former Whigs. So there was a meeting in 1854, 1855. Hold on a minute. we got to explain something. Folks, when he said it angered a lot of the Whigs, not the Whigs that you put on your hair, there was a political party called the Whigs, W-H-I-G-S, and that party was almost from the nation's founding up until the Civil War. Danny, continue. So they were really anxious and afraid of the further spread of slavery in the Western territories. So the foundation of the Republican Party was to stop westward expansion of slavery and new territories acquired by the United States during the mid-19th century. That was right. This is in the days of the pre-Civil War. The Democrat Party... The party of slavery, which it was and which it remains, the party of slavery was the Democrat Party, the one, you know, that in the 1960s was out because they didn't want black people to vote. The Democrat Party, the ones that filibustered the Civil Rights Bill. I bet you didn't know that, Camelia or Diego. The Democrat Party. I knew the that Demo- part. Oh, you did. The yeah, Democrat Fannie Party. Fannie Lou Hamer did a whole speech over at the Democrat convention. What year was that? I can't remember, but she has like 1960 a 1960 whole... convention. Yeah. I know that. And yes, and the Democrats stood in the way because they didn't want no blacks in here unless they were the servants. They're still the same party. The Democrat Party of Jim Crow was what the Republican Party had to stand up to. Hence, in the pre-Civil War, 
the party that was formed to stop the expansion of slavery in the United States was the Republican Party. And Abraham Lincoln, their first presidential nominee. And yes, Abraham Lincoln used to get great press coverage. But even now, people want his statues torn down too. So Scott, you nailed that. You were close. Uh, Camelia, yes, you were to oppose the Democrat Party, yes. I would give you extra points if you had said to oppose the slave-owning, slave, racist, bigot Democrat Party. That would have earned you a whole lot of points because that's what they were and that's what they are to this day. So one more time. Do we have to take a break? I don't remember. Are we, yes. we do we have know. to take a break. Shoot. Okay. So the Whigs did not – what was the deal with the Whigs? They, they did not oppose slavery? The Whigs were uh, the Whigs were the the other two party of the two party system opposing the the slavery owning Democrats, but they weren't really a strong anti slave party. Okay, Thank they you. were milk toast. We got to go to a break. James Golden, aka Snurdly, here Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Back in a minute. Radio 77. WABC. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. Let me say that I highly recommend this book. The book's title is called... Overrun, how Joe Biden unleashed the greatest border crisis in U.S. history. The author is with us now, Todd Benzman from the Center for Immigration Studies. Todd, how are you today? Doing quite well. Thank you for having me on. I do appreciate it. Are you kidding? We appreciate your time. Todd, let us get right to us. Tell us about your book. Tell us why should, what will people find of interest in this book? Well, the main thing that the book offers, in my opinion, is a first draft of history, uh, of a new piece of Americana, of history in the making, which is the greatest mass migration crisis, the greatest border surge in U.S. modern history. Um, This is a, a story that your regular media has really not told, and to the extent that it has told it, it hasn't told it very well. And so the book offers uh, the uh, full, complete uh, uh, reason why this happened, how it happened, who did it, who caused it, what it looked like on the ground. The trail in is necessary to know so that you can find your way out of it. And I think that's what uh, the book offers primarily is a it's, it's the the only book like it about what has happened on the border. Nobody has um, put together a document of this piece of history that that is actually still ongoing. We're still in it, but we're two years in, in it, entering our third year now, and so now is really the time to you know reflect. And understand and comprehend what the heck happened here. All right, what the heck happened here? 
<laughs> well, for example, uh, a lot of Americans probably wouldn't realize that the Mexican government, the Mexican Congress started this whole thing by waiting until two days after the American election to pass a law that required all of a sudden for the first time in Mexican history that Mexico release every family immigrant group, uh, migrant, that they had in their detention facilities. They waited for 72 hours to pass the law. Uh, by um, January 11, it was on President Lopez Obrador's desk. He signed it. There was a delayed fuse to get through the Trump administration, the transition period, all the way to the end, and then they just released them. And they all headed for the U.S. border and waited until Inauguration Day. And then the Biden administration, quite unlike Trump, let them all in through Title 42. And that is what started it. That is why it, we literally can trace this thing to Inauguration Day. And it's been a nonstop on, onslaught since that day. Uh, that's just one of the revelations in the book. Uh, the book uh, has you know, a lot of reporting in it that you will not see anywhere else. Uh, so, and I'm, I'm very proud of the book for that. And the reason, and you're being very modest, the reason that you, it, it does have this is because you didn't do this sitting at home in Tejas. You went down into Mexico. You went further into Mexico. You went to Mexico's southern border. You have spent your time speaking with the people that are coming in. You've spent your time uncovering details. For instance, the United Nations role in funding some of this and funding, you, you, I'm sure, I have not gotten through the book yet, but I'm sure that you also deal with this broken asylum process that is all part of this mix of why America is being, and I don't use the word in a pejorative sense, just factual. We have an invasion under the way by illegal immigrants or by people using legal mechanisms like the asylum program in ways that it was never intended for. Correct? That's that's well said. Uh, I I do. You know, my background is as a journalist. You know, I was uh, 23 years a working newspaper reporter. You know, my uh, undergraduate and uh, one of my master's degrees are in journalism. And so I was a practitioner for years. So, uh, yes, in order to do this book, I I interviewed many, many hundreds. I, I didn't really keep track, but, you know, far in excess of 500 immigrants, uh, probably mo- uh, many more than that, because, you know, those are the primary sources for this. They're at the heart of this. This is all about them uh, to, you know, discover how U.S. policy, how they reacted and responded to different policy fiats coming down from the White House, from the Biden White House. And I believe that the immigrants are the only sources worth listening to uh, in this in this mass migration crisis. They are the ones that hold the story. And so. Their stories are, uh, you know, they're intertwined throughout the book at every policy juncture. And yes, uh, I did spend a lot of time over the last two years on the ground with them from 
Nicaragua and Costa Rica, Guatemala, Panama, Mexico, all over Mexico, and all along our own border from Tijuana to uh, Matamoros, often on that side in order to get this story and see it. You'll see uh, throughout the book uh, my reporting from them and from there, and and I'm hoping that that the book will just – stand as, like I said, the first draft of this history. We're still in the middle of this thing. But if we're going to figure out, try to figure out uh, at some point in the next few years how to get out of this, uh, the book is a roadmap for that. And asylum, the asylum law, like you said, is absolutely figures primarily in, in all of this. And I have a very long chapter called Insane Asylum, <laughs> appropriately, uh, that divulges, you know, an, an extensive mass fraud that has been perpetrated on the American people through that law. And there's evidence in the book that you, you'll just never see anywhere else. Nobody is reporting uh, this fraud the way uh, that you'll see it in the book. And yes, the United Nations is deeply involved in supporting and maintaining the immigrants on their way in to make sure that they have the safety net uh, before they leave. They know that they've got a safety net. Nobody, the UN is not going to let anybody suffer too much on the way. And that's part of the enticement. Uh, That's all in here too. Where can people find the book? The book is overrun. That is the name. That is the title of the book overrun. How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History. The author, Todd Benzman. Where can people find this book, Todd? So the book publishes Tuesday uh, in a couple days, and it'll be in bookstores nationwide. And you can find it at you know on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and anywhere that books are sold. I even saw the Harvard bookstores offering it. So you can go to the – if you're wandering by the campus, go go pick one up. And so, yes, you can pre-order your copy on Amazon right now? Yes, you can pre-order it anywhere, and it should show up uh, on or about Tuesday or whenever, however long the post takes. Todd Benzman, author of Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History. We'll have you back, Todd. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, and any time. James Golden, a.k.a. Stern, we're coming back Saturday morning extravaganza. Your call's up next. Don't go away. Saturday morning, radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. 
Yes, your call is coming up. Remember, my friends, you can join the 77 WABC VIP Club. All you have to do is download the app. Go to wabcradio.com slash VIP. This week, a personalized autographed copy of WABC owner John Katsimatidi's new book, How Far Do You Want to Go? Lessons from a Common Sense Billionaire. Join the WABC family every week. We're giving away prizes. This week, we're giving away the book, How Far Do You Want to Go? Lessons from a Common Sense Billionaire by our very own John Katsimatidis. Sign up today, WABC's VIP Club. Download the app or go to wabcradio.com slash VIP. Every week, you'll have a chance to be included for whatever the prize is, automatically entered. And by the way, we have so many things for you. Celebrity meets and greets, signed memorabilia, concert tickets. And this week, John Katsimatidis' book. 77 WABC. Let's head back to the telephone. Sade brings us in. John in Staten Island, welcome, my friend. How are you? Hey, Bo. I was just listening to your conversation a little while ago about uh, how, what is that, the uh, liberal partisan media doesn't make money. Of course they do. They're making our tax dollars with NPR, PBS, almost billions of dollars put in there. I go, go upstate drive upstate, and I'll hear NPR from every college station that they have up there broadcasting the same liberal stuff against uh, America, talking about all the stuff that America is hateful and everything. So they get plenty of money, but it's out of our tax dollars. But my main point was Pete Buttigieg was a mayor at one time before he became the head of DOT. And when you got a little mayor of a small town doesn't get any respect or any answers from a guy who runs DOT, maybe Buttigieg should go back to being a mayor because he has no no place to be in a Department of Transportation. He has been an abject failure from the Southwest meltdown at Christmas time to which he has no answers. And we still don't know whether consumers have been made whole from that experience to this latest experience when his response to this after he finally shows up is that, and I am not kidding, while this was going on in East Palestine, East Palestine, however you want to call it, Palestine, 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 whatever you want to call it, out there in Ohio, you know what Pete Buttigieg was talking about? The fact that there were too many white people working construction sites. And he wanted to bring more equity to construction sites. This guy is way over his head and by the way as mayor of that little town out there in indiana he didn't have such a great track record either thank you for the call pothole pete right that's what they used to call him pothole pete pete in the bronx welcome how are you what's going on there kj yes you know how much million listeners you have out here in radio land Oh, I don't know. 
a whole lot, my friend. A whole Thank lot. You. And I want Thank to say you. something. You have an opportunity to become the next president of America if you can go down the middle between left and right. Because America is a divided country. And I know you see what's going on. You're not supposed to knock the left and just knock and knock the right. Because uh, America is such a divided country, a.k.a., that you should be the one to try to me, bring AK, the left let me, right. Thank you. I, Pete, I so appreciate you, but let me just be really honest with you. Like Clint Eastwood said, a man got to know his limitations. I know my limitations. I would not have the temperament to get past a, any, I couldn't even run for mayor and get past that. I couldn't run for dog catcher because somebody would end up ticking me off on the campaign trail. And by the time I lost it, it would be all over. I, and plus, I don't like the job. I don't like reading legislation. I don't like it. It's tough. Like math class was tough. Reading legislation is tough. Policy is tough. Look, I'm not equipped to do it, but I am equipped to be a good pundit, and I do know a little bit about history. So say, I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm where God wants me at the moment. We'll see. Pamela in Central New Jersey, welcome. How are you? Good morning. Uh, I want to thank you and Todd Bensman for doing uh, the investigative work like a true journalist. And I pre-ordered it. It should be coming the beginning of March. And I feel that's the only way we're going to find out the truth. And I know you've had him on uh, frequently telling the stories. So I appreciate that. And concerning NPR, that gentleman, yeah, and not only is he hearing it everywhere, but we are funding it. They get federal funds from us. Yep. So that they can, and that you talk about state uh, sponsored propaganda, there it is. R- thank you for the call, Richie in the Bronx. Thank you for waiting. Um, good morning, James. Um, I think the primary causes of the failure of schools is the characteristics of the students and the parents. Oh, how seriously, how seriously do they take education? How many classes are cut? How many don't speak English? Um, How many are invading aliens? How many students were born to single mothers? Uh, How many single mothers are getting child support from their partners? Uh, So that's about it. Richie, shame on you. Shame on you. Shame on you for blaming the parents themselves for what happens to their children. Don't you know it's government's job to govern the behavior of children, not parents? What century are you living in, man? How dare you assume that parents have something to say about their children's education? That the role of a parent is to actually parent their child? My goodness, man. Neanderthal thinking. How dare you? James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdy, we're coming back. More of your calls right after this.
Radio 77 WABC. This is the Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. E-L-O. On WABC Talk Radio 77. Remember, later tonight, Cousin Brucey, Music Radio, WABC. Make sure you stick around for that. Get that app. Keep it with you all times. We're going to rejoin your calls in a few moments. But I do want to just give me a second here. I want to just say something about John Katz. And, you know, this book, We it is WABC. You can pick it up, as I just mentioned Coming out of the last break, if you join our VIP club, you can get a personalized autographed copy of it. If you look, here's something to know. John Katz is Katsumichides, the owner of this radio station. How do you become an owner of a radio station? Well, you got to have a bunch of millions of dollars to do it, right? But before that, Look at all the things that he's been involved in. He's been involved in the energy industry. He's been involved in the grocery, the in the grocery industry. How do you become a billionaire? Well, the first way you do it is from hard work. How do you become that when you didn't have anything? Everybody wants to tell you that the American dream is dead. Here's John Casimitidis. Comes from an immigrant, a family of immigrants comes to the United States. Here he is. And today he stands as not only the owner of this radio station, but as a businessman in real estate, a guy that knows and is proficient in energy and groceries. He's built an empire. How do you do this? You do it with hard work. You do it, first of all, by believing in yourself and believing that you can do it. Now, of all the books that they have in school, all these books that they're talking about, gender this, gender that, gender this, gender that, the better book for almost any of these students would be a book from somebody, John's book, How Far Do You Want to Go? Here are some lessons. Here's the pathway. Here's how you access the American dream. Here's how you do it. And those are the things that we should be encouraging our students to read. So again, if you want to get that book, Join, if you want a personalized copy, go to the WABC VIP Club. Download the app or go to wabcradio.com slash VIP. This is what we need to be teaching our kids. Let's go to Dom in Minnesota. Dom, how are you? Yeah, James, thank you very much. Uh, First off, thank God for abolishing the Furnace Doctrine and the birth of Rush Limbaugh. You know, I got my Ph.D. in communication from listening to the Maharashi. So <clears throat> I spent some time yesterday listening to some of my Rush recordings. You know, brought tears to my eyes when he said, never give up on America, no matter how bad it looks now. 
So I think you, my friend, are pretty close to carrying on Russia's mantle into the next chapter of radio. I want to get that out of my, you know, chest now. <laughs> you know, but James, really sad about the loss of life in Turkey, especially so because I am an electronics teacher in a technical school and been that for 30 years. And I have a student who's from Turkey and he's at the top of my class. So you brought up, you know, declining standards in the, you know, in the beginning of your show. My new favorite drink today is a Don Lemonade. Tangy, tawdry, very tasty in a turbid sort of way. (laughs) (laughs) Dom, always a pleasure. And thank you for your such kind words. I I am just speechless. Thank you. I do appreciate it very, very much. Rick in Elmwood Park, New Jersey. Thank you for waiting. You're up next. Thanks for taking the call, James. Uh, They've been indoctrinating the children for 35 years now. And it started with the uh, global warming scam, James Hansen and Al Gore. And they've been telling them that oil is evil, cars are evil. Uh, If you have a child, it's a carbon bomb waiting to go off. So don't reproduce and don't use gasoline or fuel of any kind. And the indoctrination went on before that. I mean, even the subtle indoctrination is nothing like it was now. If you look inside some of these textbooks that kids have been getting for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you can see the bias. You can see the bias toward liberal policy, liberal politicians, liberal solutions, the narrative. The left has owned education, and they've been given a free ride. And what we're seeing emerge in society today is a direct result of that. And that is why I'm so glad so many parents are now getting involved, trying to run for offices like school board and try to take some of these schools and education back. Thank you. Ralph in New Rochelle, New York. You're up next. Good morning, Mr. Golden. I just wanted to speak to you about the state of our education. My brother-in-law is a teacher, and he saw the problems with these children being suspended, these troubled children. He went off on his own, developed a program, presented to the Board of Education that he would not, you know, send these children home. He would put them in a different setting, tutor them, uh, get them some uh, physical education to work out their issues. And the majority of these children were minorities. And it was his job to find a place to have this program run. He found a place. And it was a, in a minority neighborhood, and he's white. And after it all started, they ended up labeling him a racist, and he quit his job. He retired. One of the best teachers in the school system was forced out of the system because of blatant racism. And I am telling you, this obsession with racism and racist liberals is ruining this country. You look at our national conversation, so much of it revolves around issues that have no bearing on an individual's success track in life, but instead just make them feel oppressed and victimized and and give way to this idea that they have a grievance against this country. Nothing positive. Mr. Golden, Golden, he was one of the best teachers, and he has a liberal mindset which i don't mind he's my brother-in-law i love the guy and they screwed this guy over 
they lost one of the best teachers in the school system. Amazing. Ralph, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Dave in White Plains, New York. Hey, good morning, James. How you doing today? Good, thank you. Uh, a quick thing about George Santos. Uh, if he switches parties, if he switched over to Democrat, he'd be a hero in the media and with all Democrats. That's and you know what? You you <laughs> absolutely right. The only reason they're going after Joe, look, if you put up a checklist next to each other and you, you put on one column Joe Biden's lies and you put on the next column George Santos lies, the longest column would belong to Joe Biden. And they're not whining about that. So all the rest of this stuff is just political theater. Thank you. John in Suffolk County, New York. Thank you for waiting. Hey, Bo, how's it going? Good morning. Good morning. So I just want to cite two articles real quick. There's one from NBCnews.com, and it says Biden, you know, he's blocking Nicaraguans, Cubans, Venezuelans, and Haitians at the border. Um, And then there's another article from PewResearch.org, and it's saying that the majority of Cuban – this is from 2020. uh, The majority of Cuban-Americans voters – you know, lean Republican and vote Republican. So is Joe Biden cherry picking immigrants to bring into this country? Yes. Based on how they vote? How they will vote in a few. I don't know. You still have to become a citizen in most cases. And, and that process takes longer. They don't, you just can't come here and just start voting. So you have to be a citizen. And that process takes some time to get through. Uh, through that. But a lot is being, look, there's a story today in the Los Angeles Times about the exodus out of California. Over 500, half a million people have left California. And there's also a little mention that a lot of states don't want them. Conservative states are like, please don't come here because they're afraid of the way these people will vote. They leave these horrible conditions in California that liberals cause, then they go somewhere else and start voting for the same policies that made them leave California. So don't please stay home or go somewhere else. Go to another liberal state. Absolutely, both parties, not just Democrats, look at the way they think immigrants are going to vote, as they should. When you have over, we had over 20 million, this year alone with Joe Biden, they're expecting four-plus million new illegal immigrants. So, yeah, people better be concerned about what this is going to translate that into votes in the future. Tom, in Woodbridge, New Jersey, you're up next. Uh, yeah, very quickly. Uh, I know we don't have a lot of time, but uh, with regard to the degeneracy and the lowering of standards, writ large moral standards, ethical standards, technical ones, do pick up a copy of that Who Rules America and about the CRT and the 1619 uh, program by uh, the New York Times. All that media garbage, again, you'll find exactly who's running those corporations, what the agenda is, and how it fits together. Pick up that copy of Who Rules America by National Vanguard Books. It's on Amazon. Wait a minute, wait a minute. The last time you got on the air with this stuff, and I'm going to stop this soon because the last time you got on the air with this, I got a lot of emails saying, hey, this guy's promoting some neo-Nazi crap over there. Be careful. 
Now, I haven't read the book. I don't know the book he's talking about. But if it's one of these anti-Semitic, it's Jews that run everything, don't call here with that uh, stuff, please. Okay, but, you know, again, it's... Is that the whole thrust of it, that the Jews run everything? No, no. It's it's a factual document listing the names of the corporations. Is that what the thrust of it is? I'm asking you yes or no. Is that the crux of it? No. The crux of it is... Is that, that they, part of it? That they have something in common, yes. Okay, get off my phone and don't call us back. Thank you. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going with that stuff. You know, you, you, and, you and Kanye get together and try to sell that thing under some kind of package or something. Don't use my show for that stuff. WABC Talk Radio 77, been a pleasure to be with you. May God bless and protect each and every one of you and your families. I'll be back Monday for Bo Snurley's Rush Hour at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Until then, have a wonderful weekend. See you later. Bye.